Hello, everybody. It is me, Kinsey Grant, your host, and I am so jazzed to welcome you back to Thinking is Cool, the show designed to make your next conversation better than your last. So I say that at the top of every episode, but I want to tack on an addendum today. So during this season of life and of content creation, I'm focused really hard on leaning into and pursuing curiosity. I want this show to be something that moves you away from complacency and pushes you toward curiosity. So in that spirit, I'm going to be telling more stories and asking more questions that are inspired by, quite frankly, my unbridled curiosity. Now today, that curiosity is inspired a little bit by my bullshit radar. So without further ado, you know what I'm about to say. Nothing is off limits. Everything is on the table. Take it anywhere. And remember, thinking is cool. And so are you. The other day, I was scrolling through Twitter, and I realized it had been a solid several minutes since I read a tweet that was not about cryptocurrency. I mean, seriously, these cryptocurrency Web3 DeFi is the future types have a serious penchant for online signaling. It got me thinking about my own journey understanding the cryptocurrency world. I started covering the space at my first journalism job because I was the youngest person in the newsroom and they figured that my age, being of course 22, qualified me to cover potentially paradigm shifting technology. Now this was back in 2017 when the biggest stories about Bitcoin were number one, that it might hit $20,000 and number two, that JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon was perhaps as unsurprisingly to you as it was to me, a big old bear. All of my coverage, which I will admit was elementary at best, seeing as I was only a couple of months into this whole reporter shtick, centered around price action and institutional interest. I obsessed over the price of Bitcoin and Bitcoin alone. I wrote about it every single day. If the CEO of a major bank or Warren Buffett made any comment about crypto, that was a story for me. But then I left that job and I abandoned that beat. I started covering everything, which meant that I had bid farewell to stories about Bitcoin moving 3% in price in a given afternoon. Recently, though, due just about entirely to this show and the people it's brought into my life, I've gotten back into crypto stories that I think should be told. I've tried quite a lot to tell them in a way that serves all of us well. That's why I released a Bitcoin episode within the first couple of episodes of Thinking is Cool even existing, and more recently interviewed Web3 investor Gabby Goldberg to continue that conversation and to learn more. As I see it, there are so many angles to come at this story from, but I think curiosity is what's proven the most fruitful in terms of volume of learning for me. And the biggest learning is that stories themselves have shifted. Considering cryptocurrency is no longer about tracking price or getting a quote from some crusty old white dude with a giant net worth, the stories are instead about gigantic shifts in technology and access, finance, creativity, ownership, just a ton of really big words. Probably nothing. This isn't just a business beat anymore. It's what some might call a revolution. Or so that is what I have come to think. And if I'm being totally honest, which I am, I think that because I rarely look at the price of any given cryptocurrency these days. I'm much more interested in talking to the very people I mentioned a moment ago who are crusading into the deepest parts of the internet in the name of decentralization and innovation. Does that mean I've forgotten that beneath all of those life-changing protocols are assets that are volatile in a historical fashion? 
Well, yes, yes, it does mean that. So today I want to spend some time getting the update, trying to take the holistic long-term view of cryptocurrency, of course, taking into account that price does matter, but so do these big conversations and so do these big curiosities. Several times over the last couple of months on this show, we've considered the enormous kind of 30,000 foot implications of crypto. And we're not abandoning that today, but instead we're pairing that large scale future casting with the reality of what's really going on, price and all. Today, it is time to check in on the crypto punks in your life. Over the last week, I put out some calls to those crypto punks in my life to ask several of them several questions. What's exciting right now? What's risky right now? What's testing your conviction right now? And of course, what does inflation mean to you? And starting now, I am sharing what they had to say. Let's take a moment to meet our experts, the crypto-pilled folks I have met online and now get to call friends, or at least, I don't know, Twitter friends, or you know what I mean. So without further ado, meet our first guest, Annika Lewis. I work at a company called Gitcoin in Web3, where we focus on building and funding public goods, uh, mainly in the digital realm. So I'm all about funding early stage projects and thinking about new mechanisms for that. In a prior life, I worked in traditional finance, both as a VC and also at a Fortune 500 bank. Um, But now I'm all things Web3 all the time and excited to be here to chat. Next, meet Jackson Dame. I work in the sort of Web3 crypto NFT ecosystem at a wallet company called Rainbow. Uh, we are an Ethereum wallet and it's uh, we're one of the most like friendly sort of uh, accessible apps for newcomers and beginners to come into the space really geared towards uh, not as geared towards making sort of a, a product that is focused on crypto native people. It's more focused upon onboarding lots of new folks who are just getting started in this. So I'm the content community manager there, and my goal and focus is 100% on writing educational content, hosting live Q&A sessions on Twitter, um, and generally just being uh, a part of the community to be able to listen and hear what our users and feedback is doing. And then in my spare time, I'm also very much uh, personally buying and collecting NFTs, crypto, all that kind of stuff, DeFi. It's something that I do in my free time as well. And finally, meet Bobby Thakar. I'm the CEO of Ampersand, and I lead our experimental division. So we we launch different products, crypto projects, usually one every month or two. Um, And we love playing around and having a good time with innovative tech. Now you know their voices and their audio quality, so let's get to the good stuff. With each of these experts, my biggest question was a general sentiment. Truth can be stranger than Twitter, and truth is what we are after here. So let's start with Annika, whom I asked pretty point blank, what's the temperature in your corner of the crypto world these days? Feels like the temperature is fluctuating massively day to day right now, which is a really interesting time to be in. To use the seasons analogy, I feel like we've come out of this like super, super hot summer, and some people think we're on the brink of perhaps skipping fall and jumping to just like a very, very terrible winter, um, given what's been happening in the market in the last couple of weeks. I actually saw a tweet this morning where someone put it very eloquently and, and kind of reflects a lot of what I'm seeing, which is a lot of crypto OGs really worrying about what's happening right now and, and whether or not we're entering another crypto winter and what that might mean for builders in the space. Um, whereas at the same time, a lot of institutional money is catching up to the promise of Web3 and getting really excited um, and, and is super bullish. So we're kind of at this interesting junction where, you know, there's this sort of concerned market sentiment around what's going on from a macroeconomic standpoint. 
um, but also just a lot of excitement as people have woken up to Web3 and the promise that it offers. Yeah, I think that is a really interesting point to make that, um, you know, the, the old saying is one man's trash is another's treasure. But I think that like one man's crypto winter could be a big opportunity for people to to get into the space who maybe previously didn't feel ready or feel um, equipped to do so. So when we consider the fact that we might be skipping fall, we might be going straight to winter here, what would that mean for the builders that you talk about, about working with? What does that mean for them? Does that meaningfully impact their timelines? Does that impact their growth strategies? What does winter really mean aside from watching prices go down? I think it's a double-edged sword for builders. I think, you know, for, for someone like me who's, you know, relatively new to being full-time in the space, it's exciting in a way because it means that a lot of the noise that comes with having a really hot summer and people who are just in it for a quick buck might disappear. And we get to actually be really heads down with other builders who are in it for the long term, are long term greedy, and are just you know really there for the right reasons. Um, so that piece is exciting to me in a way about moving into a winter where perhaps the the superset of people that are interested in being involved just looks a little bit different. On the flip side, you know, like any market downturn, um, it's concerning from an early stage funding perspective if there's just less capital out there moving into the space less builders can actually pick up and build and and it can slow innovation down a little bit. So it does concern me from that perspective. Um, But from the builder perspective, there is also that kind of excitement about people being in it for the right reasons. And I know you might be wondering, the answer is yes. I did at that point in our conversation make a long-winded and shockingly extended metaphor involving the Bachelor franchise. I will give the condensed version here because I think it does hold up. Investing $250 in Ethereum because your next door neighbor told you they bought and sold the crypto with a 47% return over six weeks, it feels kind of like going on The Bachelor to become Instagram famous. It's certainly a means to an end, but it might not be the right end, and it's certainly not the only end. In the case of The Bachelor, going on for the wrong reasons means foregoing the possibility of true love. In the case of crypto, investing for the wrong reasons means foregoing the possibility of cryptocurrency being more than just an asset class and becoming an instrument for changing so much about the ways we log on, communicate, form groups, get paid, etc., etc., etc. But just as a decade's worth of traditionally hot people have gone on The Bachelor to cultivate luxurious lives as LA-based influencers, people are still going to invest in crypto to make a quick buck. That's just the reality of the situation. So with that, It's time we talk about pricing. Back to that conversation with Annika. I'm curious to hear your perspective. When we talk about the price of, let's say, you know, the big ones, we think about Bitcoin and Ethereum, these prices obviously shift quite a bit. Um, I was looking right before we got on this call. uh, Over the last 12 months, Bitcoin is up almost 30% in price, but it's down almost 13% over the last month. We see these fluctuations happen. We see big swings happen. What does the pricing mean for you as somebody, especially who works with builders? You know, obviously you want to go beyond just the number that we can apply to some of these assets, but I'm curious to hear what the impact is of pricing and how much you actually keep track of it day to day? That's a really good question. And I think it looks very different for all sorts of people in the space, but I'll provide my perspective as someone who works within a DAO, right? And so for us, we manage a treasury that's comprised of our token, of all sorts of other tokens. You can think about it like a company managing their balance sheet. Traditionally, you know, there's a number of things that those types of companies would allocate their their assets into, whether it's cash, whether it's, you know, real estate, whatever else that may be. And for us, with our treasuries being in these assets that are so volatile, it can have a big impact on, you know, 
even paying employees, paying Dow employees in these types of tokens. So we have to be very thoughtful about treasury management. And that in the context of Dow's is becoming a much more hot topic these days, especially as folks start to see very acutely um, what's happening in the market kind of deplete their treasuries. So for me, that's what I think about personally when I think about these these prices in the context of of my work. But I also think about it, you know, more generally as a consumer and just market sentiment and just find it really interesting to see see how, how volatile it is because my conviction in say Ethereum doesn't fluctuate that much on a day-to-day basis. But just to see that, you know, that's how the market views it is just a sign to me of how early we still are in in this whole world. You'll hear that a lot when you talk to crypto folks. We're still so early. We're still so early. And we are. But I think it's worth drawing attention to the fact that so many more people are interested in crypto today than they were just last year. Everyone and their boyfriend's mom wants to know what crypto to buy. Literally, literally, my boyfriend's mom texted him the other day asking what crypto to buy. And that interest is becoming more widespread. That's going to have an impact on pricing. I know it. You know it. Jackson Dame knows it. So I'll let Jackson explain. I, I, you know, I look at it a lot more in terms of like the day to day usage, like how many transactions are going through, uh, you know, every single day because, um, it, you know, it just constantly is going up and which to me is a signal of there are just every single day more and more people onboarding into web3 who are inevitably having to do transactions on the ethereum blockchain to 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 join a community to you know participate in this nft game and they might they're probably not coming for ethereum they're coming for all these experiences but at the end of the day what's undergirding it all are the ethereum transactions which you know cost ethereum to make so you know, inevitably, I think that does impact price. Like, I think that there, you know, the more people you are onboarding, the more people are coming into it, the more people are buying it. Bobby echoed a similar sentiment, and he explained that all of those new users might contribute to volatility in the short term, but long term, so I'll let him explain. Yes, people complain about the volatility, but you have to remember this is a more individuals are participating in this product than almost any other asset class in the world. And how we can compare that is like the Wall Street bets stuff, like GameStop, AMC, all these tokens, like all these stocks were kind of like manipulated by a consensus group of people. And there weren't market makers there to like make the volatility low. Whereas in the regular traditional stock market, we look at investments, they're pretty like stable. And that's because you have massive hedge funds and market makers charging like these markets and making them more stable for everyone. And those those participants have, are not in the crypto space. and. I think this year, like, I mean, like every year, this happened last year and multiple people predicted this for January last year was you're going to see more and more hedge funds move into this. This year is also the first year you're going to see financial advisors start recommending uh, you diversify at least 5% of your assets into Bitcoin or any some blue chip crypto. And all of those activities are is what's going to push the price of crypto, but also make it more stable over time as these assets just appreciate over time and grow into larger and larger assets. It's going to be harder to move them. It's much easier to move a million dollar token than a five trillion dollar Bitcoin market cap token, right? Mm, like yeah. you have to be a big whale to move those. And I mean, crypto and all these, all of crypto is equivalent to the value of Apple today. And so, like, we need to get crypto to the value of like the S and P five hundred to see the same amount of volatility. It comes back to that ultimate takeaway: we are still so early. 
And of course, every time I say that, I think about the five solid years of my 20s that I have spent following crypto and unraveling complicated ideas, and it makes me need a drink, which by the way, time to hear from our very good friends at Mathicon. I am gonna level with y'all. I attempted to do dry January this year, and not really for any reason other than the fact that lots of other people do it. Cue everybody's mom saying, if everyone jumps off the Brooklyn Bridge, would you? Uh, the answer is apparently yes. Yes, I would. But I would later regret it if my experience attempting dry January this year is any indication. Turns out, abstaining from a casual glass of wine isn't really that hard, but it's also just not that fun. I broke dry January. I had a glass of wine, not because I needed it to function, but because I was at dinner with a friend who had a bottle of wine waiting when I got to the restaurant and I didn't want to be rude, so I drank a glass. And I don't regret it, but I do want to share this. The wine was, at best, fine. The entire time I kept thinking, I wish I were imbibing on something better as I fail on my singular New Year's resolution. I wish this were a glass of Masakan. Masakan is the kind of wine that's worth bending the rules for. It's worth calling an entire calendar month damp January. Masakan is just that good. And you can feel good about drinking it too. Masakan, which is Napa Valley's only all-white wine winery, works with family-owned vineyards to grow organic and sustainably farmed grapes for all of their wines, which, by the way, are $30 a bottle, low alcohol, under 120 calories a glass, and contain no additives and no sugar. New wines are bottling in February and dropping in March, and between the two of us, they tend to sell out pretty quickly, so get on their list or purchase a bottle or five today on the Masakan website. That's M-A-S-S-I-C-A-N.com, or check out the local selection at fine wine shops and in select Whole Foods nationwide. Trust me on this one. You want your next glass to be Masakan. Thank you, as always, to the fine folks at MassCon for being some of Thinking is Cool's biggest cheerleaders and uh, <clears throat> weekend enablers. Love it. Now, before that break, we were talking about volatility. It's often identified as one of the biggest inhibitors to mainstream, like really, truly mainstream crypto and Web3 adoption. But as today's experts have explained, that's showbiz, baby. That, of course, doesn't mean that there are no other risks that need to be mitigated in the crypto world. So what else is worth paying attention to? Here's what Bobby said. I think the, the other thing is anyone can create anything. I can create a token. I literally created Bob token in three hours. And I can go shill that to a ton of people. I can actually just airdrop it to people's wallets. And like if you interact with that contract, I could like scam something out of your wallet, right? Like there are a lot of risk in crypto, and it's just because that's the permissionless transparency aspect of it. I've talked about this a lot on Twitter with folks and colleagues in the industry. Like, we do still have a major problem of like diversity and inclusion in this space. Um, it's it's definitely getting better every year. Like my experience as a non-binary person on Twitter in this space, I struggle because I know that there is lots of uh, lots of underrepresented people in this space who are actively building companies, working in these spaces, doing amazing things. And for us who are here. It is frustrating at times because we often, when you see like crypto bros, it's all over the headlines. The space gets dismissed, even though there are actually like diverse people here already doing things, which is frustrating at times, but it is a real issue still. Like, the, like we do need to get a lot better in that regard. And I do think it is a, an inherent risk to this space. 
It's something that Gabby Goldberg, who you might remember from a couple weeks back in the Continuing the Conversation episode I released in December, I believe. It's something Gabby brought up. If crypto and Web3 can't address and avert the shortcomings of earlier financial and technological systems, then this might all be for nothing. These new ecosystems need to be more equitable. They need to create space for marginalized groups, for women, for people of color, for everyone. And importantly, they need to cater to people from all types of socioeconomic backgrounds. Jackson explains more here. When I first got started, I still was not able to do very much myself. Like I was very limited in what I could do. You know, I think that's why, you know, as the biggest conversation in the Ethereum community is right now is how can we scale this and make all these fees and stuff go away and be a lot easier to use. And I think that's honestly the number one issue right now. When I think honestly about the biggest hurdles to crypto pilling everyone, they seem at times insurmountable. I mean, we've had lifetimes to make existing financial systems better, and we've almost 100% of the time failed to do so. It makes me wonder if the enormous promise that the crypto community has insisted is real might not be real. What if this is all just aspirational? What if we are wrong about what the future looks like? I asked, and here are the answers. Is your conviction that this is the way of the future ever tested? Is my conviction tested? Mm, That's a good question. I think it has been tested a lot over time, but I think the more data points I build up, the stronger it gets. So for example, when I first got interested in blockchain in 2016, when I was in New York, working for a Fortune 500 bank, thinking about what this technology could enable... um, yeah, my conviction was, you know, grew when I first learned about the technology and then got tested when we actually tried running a proof of concept and it failed miserably because it was 2016. And I was like, there's no business applicability here. I don't see the future of this. It's it's just not ready for prime time. And I see all these maximalists getting so excited about it, but there's no utility. So that was one example at the extreme of my conviction being tested. In the five years since then, you know, as I've learned more, gained more conviction, conviction has been tested in ways like that, where I've seen it perhaps fail from a user experience perspective, or I've seen tech move more slowly than I thought. Um, But again, gradually over time, just as the innovation has played out in the space, and as I've seen the glimmers of what I know are likely to be ahead, my conviction just grows stronger than ever. I asked that same question of Jackson, is your conviction ever tested? And I think it's important to note that Jackson was brand new to crypto in general, like Googling what blockchain means as recently as 2020. And now Jackson is a celebrated expert who has put in the work. And I think it really shows. There are moments where I'm like, I don't know if this is actually going to win out. Like there's very legitimate criticism around, you know, kind of like the speculative nature of it all of, you know, there are lots of scams out there. There there are people with legitimate concerns about the environment. Like all these things are very legitimate things that people need to be talking about. And I think like weighs on me because, you know, I think one of the biggest conversations we've seen in the NFT space is a lot of pushback from the gaming community as as gaming companies are trying to introduce NFTs into the space. And while I don't think the, the like the gaming community is really full, seeing the full picture of it at the moment, I do think that like their criticism is that they have the experience of an internet that didn't work well for them and these companies sort of exploiting them in a lot of a lot of ways. So like their skepticism is very natural. And I think if we don't have some level of uh, skepticism and belief that we need to hold these platforms to a higher standard, I think if we don't have that, like I think that we could end up like seeing a web, that, like I don't, 
if we don't have those kinds of levels of criticism, I don't think that Web3 is going to continue to go in a better direction. So I think that that's good in the long run. And um, so, yeah, I, you know, I don't have 100% conviction that Web3 is going to solve everything and this is going to be the next best thing. Um, but I'm hopeful it has a shot at it. I think maybe I'm just willing to like bet a little bit of my money and my career at least on trying to be a part of that. <laughs> I guess that's the biggest takeaway for me as I pursue this curiosity about cryptocurrency. You can make a bet on something without handing your whole self over to it. We are dynamic and we can exist and invest in multitudes and we should. For some, crypto is the way of the future. It's the promised land and it's your livelihood and it's a new way of being. For others, it's an inflation hedge. Okay, fine, segue, whatever. I asked about inflation because it's important and blah, 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 here you go. When I say inflation, what word comes to mind for you? Quantitative easing. <laughs> That's a very macroeconomic nerdy uh, way of saying it. But I mean, yeah, inflation is obviously a huge topic right now. Um, it's actually the reason I, you know, quantitative easing and the fear of inflation is the reason I really got back into crypto in earnest in 2020. We were talking earlier about people who look at crypto from just an asset class perspective and then perhaps leaving the space when this bear market comes. I was one of those people. That's kind of how I came back into the space was like, I'm really worried about the future of the US dollar from a quantitative easing perspective with COVID hitting and all the money being printed. I want to look at alternate alternate stores of value of which real estate was one, precious metals were one, crypto was another. And then it wasn't until I actually went down like the rabbit hole of understanding all of the utility of crypto that I got excited about it. So TLDR, like inflation and fears of inflation are what got me into the space in the first place. Um, they're very real. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of issues with our current fiat currency system, and I think inflation will persist. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think crypto will will change the game in terms of how we think about that in the future. I asked Jackson about inflation as well. The immediate thing I always think about is the, the line that everyone in the crypto space always sort of parrots intuitively is, you know, oh, it's a hedge against deflation or whatever. And as much as I would love to believe that myself, and you know, maybe that has people, some people. I, th I think in some, I think outside of the United States, that is very, very true. And in, in some countries, um, I, I, I don't know if I really think it's that uh, big of a, a hedge at the moment. Like it's, I know me personally. Like I, I've just seen it, it. It fluctuates and is still so tied to sort of like the macro environment still. Uh, that like I don't know. I I think that uh, I think that crypto is definitely like something in the long term that could be that but like in the near term i don't know like i'm very much uh, i'm very much more conservative on it so there you have it i hope these experts have shown you exactly what the temperature is in crypto these days and i hope that you give me some brownie points for asking about inflation I am learning more and more that it's about more than just following the price of a couple of assets in the crypto world. It's about, if you want, immersing yourself in the secondary layers of these stories. The parts that have to do with the big ideas and the human ones, that's where the richness really is. There's so much to learn and to think about, and I hope you're ready to hop too. I will leave you with this from Bobby, which has to do with where all of you might come in. I think a lot more people are going to start earning crypto instead of having to buy into it. I think everyone kind of looked at looked at all of these products as like different tokens and 
um it's it's cool like there's so many different tokens for so many different things and i think some people criticize like oh we shouldn't tokenize everything and put a dollar sign next to that like that would suck but i think there's definitely a balance in there where more people are going to earn crypto this year or possibly going into next year than buying into it so instead of you looking at it as like an investment buying into it you are as an individual not going to provide value on the network and you're going to earn tokens for that value that you provide on the network in exchange so that means you do side design work or like if you participate in a project or a group call if you earn you're getting rewarded tokens for all these activities that you're doing on chain um and that's how you're going to actually get money to like do stuff in the crypto world well you heard him Go forth and get in your cryptographic bag. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I will see you next week with another fun one. I'm Kinsey Grant. And remember, thinking is cool, and so are you.